Sometimes I wonder what it's like in the throne room of heaven. Have you ever tried to imagine that, the holy of holies, where even the angels, the holy angels, perfect angels that never sinned, somehow take part of their, some of their wings to hide themselves from the holy God? I tend to believe that moments like this tend to create a bit of excitement in the throne room. That's imagination and that's me. But from the throne room, there's an observa- uh, you can observe the entire world, the billions of people, the darkest of darkest areas. And I just tend to believe that it uh, is exciting in the throne room for a, a church body to target or send someone to maybe the, some of the darkest places in the world. So I, I, I think that's an accurate imagination, and I, 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 my prayer is that, that that excitement or sense of call and sense of duty and sense of excitement will just permeate and unify uh, all of our hearts this morning in one with the one who sits on the throne. I invite your attention to Jeremiah chapter 1. So please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. This is a passage that is very special to Philip and Deanna. And thank you for sharing uh, that with me. I was starting to uh, formulate some of my thoughts and what I would share. And this was just a uh, just special how... This may, it was a kind of a confirmation, and it, and it pulled some of my thoughts together. So Jeremiah chapter 1, and I'd like to keep it very brief, and I'd like to hang some, some of my thoughts on three clear shelves. The first point would just simply be the call of Jeremiah. Secondly, I'd like to just share a few thoughts on specifically Philip and Deanna's call. And thirdly, somehow... We can all enter into the point of our own specific call. So that's kind of the, just the uh, framework of my thoughts this morning. So you're in Jeremiah chapter 1. The context of what we're going to read here this morning is beyond our imagination. I don't know if you ever saw something really good spiral downhill and you said, how did that go so bad so fast maybe it was a person maybe it was a group maybe it's a nation maybe it's that's the context that we're going to enter in in Jeremiah the nation of Israel was on a downward spiral and you're aware the northern the northern part of Israel uh, capital of Samaria fell uh, I think it's to the tune of a few hundred years before the south where Judah and where Jerusalem is, fell. So I think if I had the context right, Israel had already fallen, and they were, they were all gone captive. And then there was a period of time where it was going downhill fast. And the apostasy was despicable. You know, we read in our Sunday school lesson this morning the, the, the heart and the burden of God in his people, not, he told his people not to get involved in some of the heathen practices. 
And I'm, I don't have time to get into the, 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 uh, the horrible conditions that Jeremiah was, was called in. But please, sometime read Jeremiah in chapter 1, chapter 2. Uh, really, there's no convenient stopping place. But if you'll read chapter 1 and chapter 2, you'll get it. it it's almost too disgusting to talk in an audience where there's children and youth. You'll read in chapter 2 where God gives a little picture of a, a wild female donkey that's running madly after the males. Yeah, I'll stop there. He uses that as an example, what his people are doing. They're, it's not like the, the, the nations and the heathen practices are coming in and luring them away. God's saying, my people are like the wild donkeys and they're, they're running. And it's, it's, it's in those little glimpses you'll get the heart of God. Be astonished, O heavens, at this and be horribly afraid. So God cared so deeply about his people and he was so heartbroken that he raised up a faithful voice and you'll see glimpses of hope throughout the entire book of Jeremiah and even Lamentations that are nuggets and pictures of hope. But primarily, it is a scathing rebuke on the condition of his people. That's the context, okay? So now we're into Jeremiah chapter, chapter 1, and what, what we're basically going to focus on is the call of Jeremiah. Join me in verse 1 of chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the words of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the king of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. And it also, I'm sorry, it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. So let's stop there. All I want to pull out of those verses is uh, basically two things. Number one, did you catch, in verse 1, the words of Jeremiah? Interesting. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came. And then we got the rest of the book. Question. So is this about the words of Jeremiah, or is this the words of the Lord? And the answer is, yes. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? To me, I love it. This is the words of Jeremiah and the words of the Lord. Is that exciting or what that you and I have the privilege to be voice pieces of God in this hour day? So, the words of the Lord and the words of Philip and Deanna in a dark country in Turkey. Uh, to me, that's just kind of a aside, but it's exciting. The words of the Lord and the words of Jeremiah. I like it. So the other thing that I pulled out of these verses are uh, the, the list of kings. 
Now, for probably a lot of us that just kind of went right over our heads, some of you may be very versed up, and, and God bless those who study the word. And it meant something to you, those kings. And, and you, you heard Josiah, and right away you thought, now that was an aggressive king. And because of what we read in the word, sometimes we just we brush over some of those points, but they're huge. And to me, this makes a, a, a tremendous difference because I'm just going to pull out Josiah. He was one of those kings who led an aggressive campaign to purify Israel. You remember his, uh, his, his, his zeal? And he set out to purify the, the land. So I, I get the picture of and I'm not sure if I saw this before. I see two giants, if you will. Jer- the J.J. Giants, okay? Jeremiah and Josiah. They're, they're contemporaries. J- Josiah's on the throne. He's the political leader, if you will. And Jeremiah is the voice uh, of the religious aspect, if you will. And they complemented each other well. In fact, while Josiah was king... I believe Jeremiah just turned up the volume. It's probably a lot easier for Jeremiah to courageously, like verse chapter 5, run to and fro the streets. And he probably went to and fro fro in the streets with incredible courage because behind him was Josiah who was was actively uh, leading an aggressive campaign to purify the land. And it provided an atmosphere for Josiah to, to uh, for Jeremiah to speak courageously. But then we're re- we read in the Bible that Josiah was killed, and some other kings that were less, far less aggressive, and some of them not not good at all. And and if you're familiar with the life of Jeremiah, you know that he in, endured incredible hardships. He, he was, wasn't he the one that was put in a cistern in a pit? And he went down into the mire and he probably thought he was going to rot. And I think he even had some words about the Lord and said, you deceived me. And it's about 30 men came to rescue him in the pit. And such a poor soul he was. And they were afraid if they pulled him up by rope under his arms, they'd rip into his skin. So they got rags and they put it under his armpits and they lifted him out of the pit. And I'm talking about the kings. It was pretty, there was a different climate when there was a good person on the throne versus a bad person on the throne. I, I wish we could read in history that there was a legacy that they left that led to a tremendous revival. And it made such a difference. But the, the hearts of the people were bent. And it, it happened. Just like Jeremiah said it would, it, it happened. And they were carried away. Was Jeremiah's call, or I'm sorry, was Jeremiah's ministry successful? Yes. What is success based on? Is success based on 
a revival or a legacy of repentance, I personally believe that success, remember this, success is based on faithfulness. And that goes not only to Philip and Deanna, but to every one of us. Success is based on faithfulness. Jeremiah could have been popular if he would have said, we're going to tackle this thing. Babylonians, not a chance. He didn't say that. He said, guys, Babylon's going to come in. They're going to take us away. And the best thing to do is yield, submit. We're going away captive. And in fact, Jeremiah said, God said, Jeremiah, to symbolize this, you go wear a yoke. You put a yoke around you and live all day, all day after day with a yoke. And they'll get it. And he was talking to a group of people one time and somebody said, uh-uh. And, he, and someone, I forget his name, walked over to Jeremiah, yanked off the yoke and threw it away. He didn't like the message of bondage. He didn't like the message of judgment. And Jeremiah said, yeah, you can throw away the yoke of wood. If you do, you will wear a yoke of iron. Read the book of Jeremiah. You'll read all those, all those uh, uh, details. But my point is, Jeremiah's call was a call, a tough call. And it was a call to be faithful and a clear, accurate witness of God and his mercy and his grace and his truth. Verses uh, 4 and 5. So, so let's go back to the call. That's what we're focusing on this morning. That's kind of a, some of those things are just kind of an overview and a summary of where Jeremiah fit into the big picture. This is what I believe really captured and ministered deeply to Philip and Deanna's heart. And it will minister to all of our hearts when we personalize it. And we can, all of us. Then the word of the Lord in verse 4 came unto me saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, I, behold, I cannot speak. I'm, I'm a child. Or I'm just young. I'm a youth. I'm too young. Never, ever... You didn't think that, Philip, did you? You never thought, ah, too young. God said, verse 7, But the Lord said to me, Say not, I'm a child or too young, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whosoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, I am with thee to deliver thee, says the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. I think I'm going to stop reading there. We go on into uh, two very interesting visions where... Uh, you, there was an almond tree and a tilting pot that tilted from the north that was uh, signifying the judgment that was going to be poured out from the north. But I just want to highlight a few things. 
let's, let's, let's all together really get it. God told Jeremiah that before he was formed, I say, before even conception, God knew Jeremiah and God had a plan. And then God furthermore said, while you were in the womb, before you came out of the womb is how it says, but during that period in his mother's womb, God said, I sanctified you and ordained you. That, that gives me goosebumps. That's powerful. Just stop for a moment. Let that sink in. This is foundation on how we view life. Sometimes we think we're in charge. And we, quote, plan well. God's got a plan. Before conception, in the womb, God had a plan. What if Jeremiah's mom would have lived in the United States of America? And the statistics of the, the murders of unborn, unborn babies. Can, can, can I comprehend it? Can you comprehend it? Should we stop for a moment and allow grief to settle over all of our hearts? Would that be in order to spend the rest of our time? Just allow, allow the burden and the grief of God to settle. I, I think I get immune. I think we get immune to our, our culture. I guess I ask the question, is it possible? Is it possible for God not to judge many, many, many nations? In Jeremiah's context, it was inevitable. It was just basically Jeremiah saying, this is the way it is. But, and I'm not suggesting that everybody goes around shouting gloom and doom, but I think sometimes to be faithful and not popular in our land, our message needs to be clear and accurate and from the heart of God. The next thing I see is Jeremiah's reluctance. And I, I, I think we're all going to gather right in here and we, 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 we can, I think we can relate. I, it's, is, it, is it fair to say that's innate? It's, it's built right in us and to just, God calls. Did you ever have a responsibility that self-protection would say, I can't do it. And you just stay safe, play it safe. And sometimes you can put it in, formulate words to self-protect. And in this case, his self-protection, which I'm good at, we're all good at, it was too young. Can't do it. Can't even talk. I mean, we've heard Moses go there. Apparently, Timothy went there because Paul had to say, don't despise your youth or don't, no, no, let no man despise you because you're a young man. So it's very common for us to have those fears. And 
Oh, the, the, the confidence that God instills in, in the call. And sometimes in every one of our ministries, whatever we're called to, whatever it is, it, it, many of you held your, little, your firstborn, looked into his or her eyes, and you almost had this, yeah, it was a tremendous joy, but then you look at the culture and the world environment, and, and you think this child's going to grow up, and what is he or she going to face? And, and then there's this overwhelming confidence that God says, I got this. You don't got this. And remember that, Philip and Deanna. He got this. You don't have this. He'll never call any of us to something he won't give us the power and courage and grace. Then he said something so interesting. I don't know if I've ever been told. Lester has given me a lot of good advice, but he never sat me down and said, don't be afraid of their faces. And probably because I see smiling faces. You know, I can hardly relate to somebody that sits there. And I thank God for that. That's a treasure. I did one time. It was in prison. I had the privilege to go into prison. And in the group of men sat a man. He was a Muslim. I was just talking about the authority of the word. You never change it. It's fact. It's gave a few examples of how the, God protected his words. If, if looks could kill, I'd be about four or five years gone. He looked at me. I can still see him. And I didn't have a whole group of smiling. It does actually work on you a little bit. And fortunately or unfortunately, I still don't know. He got up and walked out, and every ounce of disrespect and dishonor and disgust he could put into his body language, he did. It's actually healthy for us all to be kind of in that uh, scenario at some point. So I, don't, I have no idea what the face is. I think if I gathered from Brent, they're fairly hospitable, sociable, maybe, just maybe, there will be a time or a day or a person that hates the truth. That goes for all of us. And it's in those moments we're so tempted to take the standard down. I'm with you. God said, I'll deliver you. That's what God told Jeremiah. Do you think Jeremiah thought of that when he was in the dungeon? I'll deliver you. Well, sometimes deliverance, our deliverance and God's deliverance, and most people think Jeremiah was stoned to death. Deliver, sometimes with you, deliver you, is different than we think. The Lord touched his mouth, and uh, Jeremiah had an amazing ministry. It was successful. Very successful because he was faithful. He's often called the weeping prophet, and I doubt that you would find one uh, tear of self-pity. But I believe Jeremiah wept and lamented for the people of God, the ruined city of God, and maybe ultimately God's pain for his apostatizing people. That's just one picture of God preparing and calling a man for a specific need. Philip and Deanna, here's the second point. This one will be shorter. 
we have a scene shift. Now we're going to drop into an, uh, a city in ancient Greek culture. And it was, a th- it was called Smyrna, and it was a thriving seaport town. We don't have any record how the gospel uh, reached the city, but it did. Probably from Paul's ministry to Ephesus, which is about 35 miles to the south. That faithful church form, you can read a, a several accounts of, of revivals and amazing things that happened there. And uh, there was worship. I'm assuming that from Ephesus sprung somebody or some, uh, some way up to, up to this, this ancient Greek, Greek city. This city was a, a one of those that Jesus noted in Revelation. And he said, I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But in light of eternity, you're rich. Paraphrasing. Jesus said, fear not. Be faithful to death. I'll give you a crown of life. There was a leader there named Polycarp. What an inspiring story of courage. Last week we heard about courage. You want to really read a, you want to see an amazing picture of courage. Read the story of Polycarp. He was put to death. And while he was being put to death, they said, aren't you afraid of the fire? And he said so calmly, he said, I think he was to the tune, in his 80s somewhere. And he said, uh, he talked about God's faithfulness for so all these years. And then he said, with a smile, why should I be afraid of a fire that lasts a mere hour? When in so doing, I am escaping a fire that is eternal and lasts forever and ever and ever. Most in this city died a martyr's death. They died or fled. Well, Christianity has a history of being fugitives, on the move, often spread by intense persecution. That's really why we're here. We forget, but our ancestors knew it well when they fled Europe. So removed from our thought. Today there's that little city, and it's so dark. And it's precisely where God is calling Philip and Deanna. They will shine there. They will be separate. They will be different. Very different. Different philosophy. Different hope. Yes, the Muslim class, I mean the the class on Muslim evangelism in 2017 was instrumental. Yes, the Muslim impact was instrumental. Yes, you sat in Brent's class and he said, there's one Christian in, in a, this certain city of Turkey. There's nobody support. There's no church. And then he said, that shouldn't be. That went deep into Philip. One day he had to pick up a, 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 group, a people group to pray for. and Not randomly. He chose the Muslim people. It is my belief that God called before you were born and God set it all apart, even in the womb, both of you. And I have confidence that God will give the proper words at the proper time, at the proper place, proper people. Don't fear. Don't fear their faces. And we get to partner in it. It's not them. It's us. All I may do, as much as I want to land in that city and walk the same 
well, it's they, there was an earthquake that shattered the that shattered the town, and so much has changed. But the same area that the faithful church was, the same area that Polycarp walked. As much as I love it, all I may ever do is lift you up in prayer. That's all we may do. Maybe God will allow, call, enable some of us to do more than just pray. And a special word of blessing to Ray and Sue and Dan and Judy and the Weaver Hartzler family. Their absence at at, uh, family gatherings are going to be keenly felt. But God bless you as you let them go. Lastly, and very, very, very quickly, our call. Jeremiah's call, Philip and Deanna give a call. It's not about just about Jeremiah. It's not just about Philip and Deanna. It's about you. It's about me. Every believer is called to come and follow Jesus. Every believer is called to deny self, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. Every believer, there is a, there, there is a, a statement that Jesus wanted us to get. He said, if you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, you'll save it. Conversely, he said, if you save your life, and I think that means this is my way, I got my plans, I will protect my future, I will not make myself vulnerable, I will... If you save your life, you'll lose it. I wish I could tell you exactly what it looks like and what it means. But I think it's a a call that's serious and sober enough for all of us to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. In fact, maybe you're a mechanic Maybe you're a school teacher. Maybe you're a carpenter. Maybe you're an electrician. And we appreciate and need everyone. Be faithful in your calling. And maybe, just maybe, it would be a very wise thing for all of us to go to Isaiah chapter 6 and find the words of Isaiah where he said, Here am I. Send me. Maybe. Refrigerator would be a good place to put it. Maybe. Bathroom vanity. A reminder. Lord, here am I. Send me. I believe in every generation, in every culture, in every time, God calls enough of people specifically to reach, now whatever that looks like, success is not based on others' responses. I believe in every time, every culture, every generation, God specifically calls enough of people to accurately take the light to every corner of darkness. And then the sobering question comes to me and comes to you. 
Why is there so much darkness? How can I make a difference? Let's do it. Here am I. Send me. I'm so excited how God has worked, is working, will work, and we're part of it. Philip, Indiana, God bless you.